Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, it's Hillary here. Just a quick note, this series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. Brandon is still in the tiny, windowless interrogation room with Ranger Collins. He's stressed, grieving, disheveled, and unclear exactly what's going on, but maybe starting to notice that law enforcement are treating him not as a grieving son, but as a potential suspect. And there are some reasons why they should be suspicious. Since the untimely death of Dennis and Norma Woodruff, Law enforcement have had several tips insinuating that Brandon could be involved. Last episode, you heard part of Charla and Brandon's conversations with law enforcement. We heard from Charla, the difficult relationship she had with her parents. And we heard from Brandon, who was angry at investigators for tossing his dorm room and his dad's Dolly Parton room. But we also heard him speak about the positive relationship he had with his parents. This episode, we will dive into the timeline of the night of October 16th, 2005. Because like we discussed in our last episode, the timeline is everything. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here. Welcome to another episode of It Couldn't Happen Here. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and I'm joined by my wonderful teammates, Dan Flaherty, Poe Cutchins, and Andrew Dunn. So Brandon came in to speak to law enforcement voluntarily and is still in his interview with them. So let's just dive into what happens next. They start marking down the timeline with him. So once they know when he actually left his parents' house, they can start narrowing down the time of death. What the investigators are looking for are two times. Brandon's last time with his family and another time to bookend a window of time to where the murder could have been committed by Brandon. They're trying to catch him in lies. What kind of language do they use to set up the timeline with him? I mean, he says, oh, this was around 6, 6.30. Yeah. And so then it was a half hour you ate? Sure, sure. And then 
you drove from here to here. How long would that take? Oh, 15 minutes? It's quite suggestive. So you leave, uh, what, I mean, if your dad came with the pizza, you're talking 6.30 or so with the pizza? Somewhere like 6.15. 6.15? Yeah, because like, like we had already called it in and stuff like when he left. Okay, it wasn't delivered, he just goes and picks it yeah. up and comes on back? Yeah, because we were going to go eat, but then we decided not to because we were like, the guy that's doing our barn work for us mm-hmm. was supposed to come by or something, so we stayed at home because we weren't even going to eat pizza, but then we were like, okay, we'll just eat pizza. Okay. All right. So your dad came back with a pizza about 6.30. You ate dinner with him at the house. Mm-hmm. And then you you left so you could go back over to the house and heat. Right. And, yes, sir. Okay. And then at 7, you left the um, uh, your the parents' house over in Roy City, and you go over to mm-hmm. Heath, feed the animals and parent and all that. Right. How long does that take? I mean, how uh, long does it take to get from Roy City to? To get to Roy City. To Heath. To Heath. Maybe 20, 25 minutes. Okay. 30 at the most. Okay. I might have been there at the most for 30 minutes, maybe at the most. Okay. 30 minutes. But your bird's inside. You go inside to feed it. Right. The dogs and outside I, dogs and I let him out because he's he has to get out. Yeah, they're outside dogs. Oh, you let the bird out? Right. Well, you have to. But, I mean, just to the cage or, like, out of the house or something? No, like, out of the cage. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking you take him outside and he takes off. You're not going to be able to find him. No. You know? Okay. All right, so you feed the dogs and the birds. You were there for like 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. you think probably by 8 o'clock then you're headed towards Denton? Yeah. Okay. Because I know, cause I know um, my friends, like, he was like, come on, like, I should have already been there by then. Sure. But I had to feed these animals, so. Okay. Because my dad would have, but he was still waiting on the bar guy. Okay. So. They then are very nice to him. And they're asking him all these questions about when he last saw them because he had been helping them move. He'd been home for the weekend from his school over an hour away. He came home apparently on a lot of weekends, not just to visit his friends, but to visit his parents and also to help them with this move and to help with the animals. He'd only been gone, you know, five or six weeks. Right. Because as a reminder to the listener, Brandon has just left for college and Dennis and Norma had bought a new house in Royce City but they were still transitioning everything to the new house and had their animals still back at the old house in Heath. And the move was happening and the animals had been hugely his responsibility. So he'd been helping tend to them. What should law enforcement do in that interview? I mean, do you ask them to provide you with times and the places you've been? Or, as in this case, do you make a suggestion and let them say yay or nay? This is part of what is weird to me that they waited this long because a Good policing is you're trying to lock in a timeline if it's important. And part of locking it in is getting the time and the stops and figuring out any receipts, anything you can get to actually have proof of a timeline. So if somebody's like, I left the house and then I went and got gas and then I picked up this person and then I went and I deposited money, you want to go and look at the receipt for the gas station see if there's any surveillance video from there. Wherever they picked up their friends, the deposit at the bank, that's a receipt. These are things that you do and you do them right away to lock in time. Well, because people forget over time. They forget, it becomes loose, and you want proof whether they're telling the truth or not. Those receipts are going to lock it in and help you create a timeline. It's a It almost in the seems game. like they lead him into every time. Did you find that to be the case, Dan, when you were listening to it? I don't know, but... It's clear from watching the interview that Ranger Collins is trying to get firm times from Brandon. You know, he wants to have, when did you do this? What time was this? And so Brandon is being a little vague. 
Ranger Collins is like, well, you know, he wants to write a number down. You know, so he's like, okay, so would you say it was six thirty, or would you say it was eight thirty? And Brandon's like, yeah, that, yeah. So it's not necessarily that Ranger Collins is telling him the time ahead of time, but he wants to lock him in. Like Brandon's being vague about his times. We ate dinner and then I left. He doesn't feel like he's being evasive, though. No, no. I think he's very unclear about what time any of this stuff happened. Oh, okay. But you didn't drink at the clubs or anything no, like that? Okay. No. Okay, so y'all went ahead then and made it on back then. Right. Sunday right. night. Was it like but Monday morning now by now? Right. It? I guess after midnight. Right. You had the dance off and all that. Yeah. What, time you, what time did you leave Dallas? Um... I'm trying to give you like the best answer I can. No, I'm, that's fine. That's all um, right. What time would the club normally close on? Four. And did you close it down or did you leave early? Oh no, we never say that long. No. Okay. Um, I would say we left at I'd say like one thirty or two, okay. because like it was like we were trying to get back when because Robert didn't know, but he had a paper to write, <laughs> and I I was gonna help him with the paper, so. We you're going to pull an all-nighter after you're dead we clubs. We were trying to do that. I'd like to see what that paper looks like. I don't know how it took now. Okay. All right. Did bed. you end up helping him with it? No, I went to bed. Okay. What what time did y'all get back to ACU? Do you know? I think, I don't even know because it was several hours. Okay. I don't know. It's worth remembering this was 2005, and we didn't all walk around with iPhones in our pocket constantly knowing what time it was. For a teenage boy who's bouncing around all over the place to know what time it was at every single step of his day, that's a lot to ask from anyone, but specifically a young person. And a week ago. And a week ago. I couldn't tell you what I was doing Friday at 5.30 a week ago if my life depended on it. A couple of things worth noting is the interview with Brandon and Charla happens the day after the funerals. So you can't imagine, right? Like this is a very traumatic thing. Your parents have been murdered. You just went to their funeral and you're coming in now to speak to the police after they've tossed your dorm room and they've tossed your house and messed with your father's private possessions. Sure, his mind is going to be a little scattered, right? Yeah, and I mean, the fact that they tossed his dorm room shows that he's aware that he's in some way a suspect because they wouldn't be tossing his dorm room if they weren't. Yeah. And what's interesting with Brandon's interview is that before it starts, Brandon is talking to the lawyers and they're in the interview room and the lawyers say to Brandon, look, you don't have to answer their questions. You have a right to remain silent here, but they also can arrest you. So you should cooperate with them. You should answer their questions. The lawyers tell Brandon to cooperate. I mean, Jesus, Brandon is trying to be cooperative, but anything he says in this room can and will be used against him. And that feels so confusing for legal defense to advise him to do so. Yeah. So right off the bat, Brandon is being told by his advisors to tell them everything, you know, and he's trying to be cooperative. Based on his legal advice, he's trying to come up with whatever he can come up with to tell investigators. So you can't say, I don't remember. You try. You're like, I think so. Yeah, okay, around then. You're trying to be (laughs) helpful. Right. He's trying to be helpful. And I think the interesting thing also is the timeline, you know, exactly when the pizza happened, I'm not sure how relevant that is, but it's relevant in the sense that we know around the time that they had dinner and that Brandon says he left soon after dinner. And we have some evidence that that's correct because we have a phone call that Brandon makes at 7.36 p.m. to his parents. So that would have been when he left his parents' house after dinner. She didn't answer the phone, but we have a call record that he did call. So it would seem that he left his parents' house when he said he did. 
The question is, what did he do after that? And the other important phone call is the phone call that we know that happened around nine o'clock between Norma and her mom, Opal. They spoke between nine and 9.20 that night. And we don't think Brandon was at the house at that point either. There's no indication. I guess what I'm trying to say is that every indication was that Brandon did leave the Royce City house when he said he did. From our research, here's the timeline of the night that Dennis and Norma were murdered. Brandon helps his parents move during the day. They've got multiple pickup trucks. They're loading them at the old house in Heath, driving them into the new house. There's some back and forth going on. And then we know that they all ate pizza together as a family. Dan, there's a receipt for the pizza, right? That's right. Dennis went to town, picked up the pizza. And so we know he picked that up and then drove the amount of time it took to get home. All of these numbers are simple math. And if you have the receipt time for when he buys the pizza, we know how long it takes for him to get from the pizza place to the house. So then Brandon sits down with his parents. They eat. Brandon leaves sometime after that. And then it's Brandon's narrative. So he says that he drove to the house in Heath. He did his chores and went and picked up his friends at the Denny's so they could go out together that night in Dallas. So... We have multiple people that have seen Brandon over the course of that night. We have multiple people who have spoken to Brandon over the course of that night. We have receipts that give us times over the course of that night. And that is all going to become incredibly important because those will give us hard times. However, this is important. In this meeting with law enforcement, law enforcement is suggesting loose times to Brandon. It's not until much later in Brandon's interview where Ranger Collins will drop what he thinks is a bombshell. I'll tell you right now, I've got an eyewitness that that saw you and Heath at 11 p.m. on Sunday night. That, Between 10 and 11 p.m. at the at the Heath residence, and, and you're putting yourself at a club in Dallas or at Alex's home, leaving between 11 and 11.15. And, and Brandon there is, it, it's, let me tell you, it's impossible. You can't be. That's that's our question. But what you can't be two places. Is, how can three of my friends say that I was with them? Well, you know what? We haven't talked to your friends yet. Okay. But, but here's the thing, Brandon, okay? You threw out before over in Heath, man, I know all my neighbors and all my all neighbors right. know me. And I'm telling you right now, that a neighbor has contacted us and said on Sunday night, and I know it was Sunday night, and I know it was be- it was between 10 and 11 p.m., that's as far as I can get it narrowed right. down, I saw Brandon at the Heath address. And you, and now all of a sudden, you've, you've told us this whole story about right. where you are and where you should be, and, right. and that's the question that we've got. Right. How can you be two places right. at once? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about the neighbor in Heath. What's curious is that the neighbor in Heath said he saw Brandon pulling in at a much later time than Brandon said he got to the Heath house. And that is going to be a very, very big deal. I have the interview notes from when law enforcement spoke to that neighbor. When law enforcement went out to the Heath house after the bodies were discovered, Randall Lunds wanted to make a statement. In his interview, he said he'd been a neighbor of the Woodruffs for nine years, but he did not socialize with them. Still, somehow he knew that Brandon was not doing well at school and that Dennis had told him this was his chance to make it or break it. He says that Norma had asked him to keep an eye on the Heath house while they were in the process of moving to Royce City. Now, he tells investigators that he saw Brandon arrive in Norma's Silverado between 10 and 11. And he knows it's that time because he watches the news every single night at that time and he stands by his bedroom window. So that's the only way he could have seen this truck coming and going at that time. When Brandon says, I left my parents' house in Royce City around 7.30 and then I arrived at the Heath house around 8 and then I left to meet my friends, you know, that's his story. And in that interview, Ranger Collins says, hey, but you know what? You're lying because I already spoke to your next-door neighbor in Heath, and he says he saw you there between 10 and 11 p.m. 
Right Brandon, did, did anything happen with you and your parents? No. You're, there's like, that's the dead truth. I, like, there's, I know, that's crazy. I know, it, it, but I've seen crazy stuff happen. You have too. You've seen on TV, TV, everything. And kids that love their parents and just something flies off, something snaps, okay? And if something did and somebody knows it and is remorseful for it, that's a person that can be helped. If a person says snaps and then lies about it, that's a person who knew it was wrong to begin with. But what okay. I'm saying is, okay. I, I just want y'all to check out things. Okay. Well, we are going to check out things. That's what I'm saying, is I don't know how they can say that I was there if... I'm asking you, Brandon, straight up, is if something happened with you and your parents, get right, and that's why you get help. If you don't, I'm going to tell you, they're going to go at you and think you're the biggest villain in the world because you've lied about it and you're going to have motives and you're going to have all this other crap. Instead of saying... You know, me and my parents got in an argument. Something happened. I don't even know what happened, and something bad happened. If something did, but that's that's a, okay. You're, so you're telling us straight up. I'm telling you 100. percent You did not kill your parents. No, that's fucking crazy. Excuse my language. The the thing is, Brandon is. I mean, as I a right. That, no offense to y'all, but I'm like. I was already pissed off at y'all, and now I'm more pissed off at y'all. So, well, to, you know what? You should be. I'm just. I'm saying that I don't think that Hunt County itself has tried to. Obviously, I think that they're trying to look for an easy way out of this, and that's what I think. Do you think you're the easiest way out? Well, I don't know what I. I don't. I don't know how you can sit here and tell me that. That that. Obviously, y'all don't know who who I am or who my family was or anything. Well, you're right, I don't. Because I can guarantee you that that would be no way in, in hell that that would ever happen. Okay, well, let me ask you this, because we've been called by uh, a teacher from Rockwall or told from a teacher in Rockwall that after this happened that the kids there in, in the class said, well, dang, if they're dead, Brandon did that. Everybody knows he hates his parents' do you know, guts. Do you, know, do you know I've heard anything and everything from situations like that to my parents being crack addicts? Tonight, you don't know what I've been through the past couple of days. And to be honest with you, rumors always fly. I understand and that. And you know what? Whatever one person is, thinks is the juiciest information might be to the other ones. Cool. You ready to go? Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I, I do. Can I go with them? Though? Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you've been free to go the whole time. Dan, what happens next? Well, after Brandon's interview, Ranger Collins starts immediately putting together the information he needs to apply for an arrest warrant for Brandon. So he compiles his documents and his information, gets it to the prosecutor's office and gets an arrest warrant, which they serve the next day. What is the basis of the arrest warrant? So what I'm looking at is the probable cause affidavit used to obtain the arrest warrant. Now, a probable cause affidavit, for those who don't know, is like a sworn statement that officers use to request either a search warrant or an arrest warrant from a judge. So in this affidavit, there are several things. Primarily is, like we were saying, the 45 caliber long Colt that went missing from Brandon's girlfriend's house that Brandon had access to, and the supposed MySpace page claiming that he hated his parents and wanted them dead. But another thing that's interesting is that a couple people had said that Brandon could be cruel to animals. For example, Mike Etherington says that Brandon had a cat, a mother cat, and that he killed the cat with a shovel and then took her kittens and dropped them from an overpass. That's a horrible story. Horrific, right? And I think that we all sort of, 
you know, have seen enough shows about serial killers or psychotic people who are cruel to animals and that sort of indicates that they could be cruel to people. It's an early sign of a serial killer in everybody's mind. Exactly. And it's something that they actually list on the probable cause affidavit. And now, meanwhile, this claim of animal abuse is problematic coming from Mike Etherington because Mike Etherington has his own accusation, right? Yeah, apparently Dennis told his sister Kathy that he suspected that Mike had poisoned the family dog. So you have these wild, really horrific accusations flying back and forth. Between these two boys who had once been best friends. I mean, they were members of 4-H together. They were part of a clique called the Shit Kickers. Police have used that to have an arrest warrant. What does a story about a report of animal cruelty have to do I mean, I've never actually heard that, or is it reasonable? It's pretty weird. I mean, for it to be on an arrest warrant, that's a wild thing to put in an arrest warrant. It's just an allegation from another party. A party that still hasn't been proven. You're trying to prove something based on another unproven story. Right. It's not like he has an arrest record for cruelty to animals. Right. right. Now, that could right. be that probable be a cause. Thing. There's a person who is violent towards other living things, and we have a record of it. This is an accusation by somebody who has accused him of other things, but is known to have a feud with him. They have a beef. Just so we're all on the same page, apparently Michelle Lee, Brandon's girlfriend's mom, and Mike Etherington both expressed concerns to investigators in reference to mysterious deaths of several animals in Brandon's care which included a horse, a dog, and a lamb. Not to mention the anecdote I mentioned earlier that Mike shared with investigators about striking the mother cat in the head to kill it and then dropping her kittens from an overpass. So that's the line from the actual probable cause affidavit. I mean, this sounds like accusations that preteens might make. And also, living in horse country... You don't murder a horse and have... uh, They're the most expensive animals on the planet. Like, someone's going to raise a red flag if you kill a horse. But a horse or a sheep is going to die when you are taking care of... I mean, animals die when you have a lot of animals that you care for over the years. They don't all live. It's an odd thing to put into an arrest warrant. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What should be in an arrest warrant? What should law enforcement use to procure a warrant? Eyewitness statements, the weapon. I mean, the fact that a gun that may have been similar to the gun used that went missing, that a lot of people had access to as a reason for arrest, that would be a reason for a search warrant to go see if there's any gun anywhere that person could have been. Mike says that on homecoming weekend, a group of friends stayed over at Morgan Lee's house. So a lot of people were in and out of her house. They should have searched the home of every single kid who had been at Morgan Lee's house. Yeah, and we should talk about whether anyone ever fingerprinted or did any DNA touch evidence on the holster that she brought in when she said that the holster was missing the gun. You're talking about the holster that Michelle Lee, Morgan Lee's mom, brought into law enforcement. Because theoretically, I mean, if Brandon pulled the gun from the holster, he should have left touch DNA. I mean, the other thing they mentioned in the arrest affidavit was that they thought Brandon was incorrect about his timeline. I mean, the timeline is a big factor in this, right? Well, that's, yeah, it always goes back to the timeline, I'm telling you. There are a lot of things on this case that are really bare looking deeply into. And the conversation and the suppositions that we're making are not things that we would put on a TV show, but they are what goes on behind the scenes when we're trying to figure out things because we, like everyone else, are trying to understand the importance of things or what goes sideways or what's spot on. You know, we're trying to figure it out like anybody else as we're doing it, especially because we want it to then what we put on air to be factually based or clearly a supposition, not acting like our riff and brainstorm is truth. But that said, we don't know if Brandon did it or not. I think it's really important for us to always step back and say, we don't know. A lot of what we're saying feels like we're going, oh my God, let's pick apart the holes to show he didn't do it. And we're 
picking apart the holes in a case because we see things that stink. What we're seeing in the 24 hours before Brandon's arrest are a number of opportunities for law enforcement to pump the brakes and say, hold on, something's weird here. This Etherington-Woodruff connection is weird. There's clearly something going on here. Before we rush in and arrest a 19-year-old kid, maybe we do a little bit of research, you know? Instead, Brandon is staying at his aunt's house in Texarkana at the border of Texas and Arkansas, and his grandmother is there, and it's the morning of the 24th. It's been a full week since his parents' death. It's two days after the funeral? six days after the body was found. God, it's only six days, and they've already made the decision that it's Brandon. That's wild. A six-day investigation? Well, it wouldn't be wild if there was actually a gun. If If there was physical evidence. If there was actually physical evidence or eyewitness evidence. If they found blood on Brandon or anything like that. We will get into all of that. But what we're going to discuss right now is what happens six days after the bodies are found. What happens that morning, Dan? Well, the Woodruff family are all sort of staying together at relatives' house. I believe that Bonnie is there and Brandon is there. The kids are both there. You know, all is just sort of circling the wagons, just sort of being together to comfort themselves. And Brandon's asleep, I think, on a chair in the living room. And basically the police come, essentially a SWAT team descends on the house, comes into the house, takes Brandon into custody, shocking everybody. I mean, Bonnie certainly tells a story of how surprised they were and how horrific the whole scene was. I was at my daughter's house and uh, Brandon was there. He was asleep in the recliner and I was asleep in one of the bedrooms. And after, I don't know, I guess I'd just gotten up, but they came and knocked on the door. I think Kathy had been somewhere and came back and they came out right in the house and told Brandon he was under arrest. And he looked shocked, you know. He looked shocked and I was shocked. And I couldn't believe it. I said, I don't understand why you're arresting him. I couldn't understand it. You know, I was upset. I was kind of mad. I was really mad at the... And this is the Texas Rangers who came? Or was it the Sheriff's Department? I think it was the Sheriff's Department. I think he just sent them out, but I was upset with it. So what were you thinking at that time? I thought they made a mistake. I think they made a mistake, and they still think they made a mistake. But my grandson's paying the price. To the dismay of Brandon's family, he is formally arrested. And so sometime after that, Bonnie finds herself with Ranger Collins again. After Brandon was arrested, we had a meeting with the Rangers. And he was talking, they were saying that they thought Brandon did it and all this. And and I said, you're crazy. I told told the Ranger that you're crazy. I said, you don't even know my grandson. And he still don't. He still doesn't know my grandson. He didn't try to get to know him, and he didn't try to find out the truth. And I hope he pays. Why do you think he did that? He just wanted to solve that case because people were afraid around there. They didn't even investigate very long. But my grandson's innocent. (laughs) And I told him that night. He said, 
your grandson still has time to repent. I said, he doesn't have to repent because my grandson didn't do it. I think I know my grandson. You don't know my grandson. And I, I know to this day even more so that my grandson didn't do it. He, if you only knew his heart, you know, he has a great, he has a good heart. One thing that really strikes me about when Bonnie says that Ranger Collins has told her that Brandon can still repent. Repentance is a word I would not expect coming from a law enforcement official about a person who has been accused of a crime. You know, repentance, church and state, all those things. I mean, Noel says evil. I mean, evil, I believe in evil. Christian morality becomes the language that's used by these official law enforcement and other people surrounding this case is striking to me. And we'll definitely dive into that more in our next episode because one day after Brandon is arrested, his sister Charla requests a second interview with Ranger Collins and basically gives them the logline for the case. A lot of people are saying you're gay. And if you lie, I know they've asked you if you're gay. If you lie about little things, Brandon, even if you think they're upsetting to a family, if you lie about little things, but you're telling the truth about the big thing, they're going to know you're a liar and they're not going to believe you. We'll dive into Charla's second interview and more in our next episode. That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here. But be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Brandon Woodruff case and continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here, you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at... I-C-H-H Stories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Ridiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.